Trending News right now. Dr. Meji Makoba, our social commentator, talking social media trends in the last 24 hours. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's, let, let's start uh, hashtag Miss Universe. <laughs> I feel like we're going to be spoiling this one because we've been up since two. So we've been following this. It was live at 2 uh, a.m. from uh, the U.S. But we know it's going to be repeated later in South Africa at half past nine. So maybe we shouldn't ta- we shouldn't get too much into what, what's happened. But talking about Zozibini uh, ending her reign on Sunday as Miss Universe. Yeah, I think it was an interesting reign because uh, I think her her award or her winning the competition represented a a serious cultural shift in South Africa and in the African continent because she kind of interrupted the dominant narratives of beauty and it, it was kind of restorative to many black women and I think it was an important cultural moment for many black South Africans and it is interesting how the hair replacement could possibly come because the expectation was that uh, the two South African women who got position number one, number two, were going to go and uh, compete in the Miss Universe, but that wasn't the case, which is something that was designed strange for many South Africans. Yeah, so what do we take from her? I mean, she, as you say, was a representation of a lot of, uh, you know, black beauty, not just for South Africans, but also for the continent, I think. And she became the third South African to win the title. Yeah, it it was actually very important because I think uh, having somebody who, I would say, who embodied a natural look into that stage because... uh, I've I've been listening to this uh, Australian model saying that she had to assimilate, she has to put a lot of foundations on her skin to to look like a a white person, and having that figure who embodied naturalism and who looked so natural is actually a very important in terms of restoring the dignities of black people because. Uh, as we have seen in the past, how black has been vilified and how black skin was also vilified and having such person in an international stage representing us, I think it was very important. And I think hey, that cultural moment is going to have a lasting legacy in Africa because now we know that beauty is also black and that is going to actually inspire a lot of African women. Yeah, and, and interestingly, we were listening to a chat between her and uh, Trevor Noah talking about how she actually was even bullied, people calling her ugly, and you couldn't even imagine how anyone would call her that. But we know it comes with the territory, and I think she handled it very well. So South Africa being represented then at the Miss Universe by Natasha Jobet, uh, and uh, she's a model, and also uh, what can we read into that? What What do we think about her? I think in terms of uh, universal representations of beauty and character, I think she has what it takes. And for sure, she stands a chance of winning the competition as well. But uh, the issue has been the dark cloud over her selection going into the competition. I think that's something that has been strange. But in terms of her character and considering that she got a pet position, it's not really bad, but... 
there is actually issues with why did they choose her over the two other women who also had a chance to go and compete in this prestigious event. Mm. What do we think of the other, I mean, well, we don't know them uh, per se, but we know the countries that are always at the top, Venezuela and India. And India, uh, it's a model and a beauty pageant title holder who was crowned Miss Diva Universe 2020, who's representing that country. And then Venezuela has an actress and a model uh, also who was crowned Miss Venezuela. Uh, and then Brazil is also usually another top. Uh, what do we think is going to be top, top let's say top five? I think those countries, in terms of, you know, the concept of beauty is such a very biased issue, and and I think that's what they are looking for. And I think those countries, in terms of dominant narratives of beauty, they do have good-looking women according to the standards, the international standard of beauty. And it would be interesting to see which country comes first. But I think, as you've mentioned, India, Venezuela, if you check what an international duty or figure would look like, those countries have what it takes. And it, I think it, they would be, countries such as India as well, they would be, they, would, they, they have a chance of doing well. Yeah, okay, let's move on. Talking hashtag Ace Mahashule. Uh, on Friday, it was confirmed that uh, the suspended NC Secretary General is going to court to challenge his suspension. So in his papers, he's making quite a lot of claims, one being that he has been unfairly treated and that his uh, suspension is because uh, if he's in the ANC, then uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa's chances of being the leader of the ANC or continuing to be the leader of the ANC will be shortened. Yeah, there's that, yeah there's that idea that Ramaphosa doesn't have a full constituency of ANC and NEC and he's... He, he, for him to to even I mean serve his term, he would need some political strategy that would include seriously pegging his political opponents. Uh, but for Ace Mahashula, I think he's in a serious precarious position because uh, he was part of the step aside rules, and he's 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 now taking off the ANC to court. is kind of an oxymoron because he had said in the past that uh, members of the ANC shouldn't ever take the ANC to court because that represents ill discipline, and now he's there taking the, the ANC to 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 court. But I don't think he has the chance to win the case for number of reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, his his factions in South Africa is associated with with corruption, and courts tend to be political with such matters because they they would even try to say that uh, the, this issue. Is is within the ANC, and they might find a way, they should find a way of handling it. But in terms of whether the step aside rule is is constitutional or unconstitutional, it's sort of, sort of a gray area because they are not saying the person would be permanently relieved of his duties from the party. They are saying that they must step aside for a moment. Mm. And I think from Ace Hashley's position, that that is precarious for his faction for one reason. They know that once he leaves the office of the SG, Ramaphosa and his cronies are going to use that moment to consolidate their power, and that is what politics is about. That When, he's, even when he steps aside, they are going to regroup and make sure that they have strong control of the ANC and EC. And I think that's what um, Isma Hashula is fearing for. It's not about whether he's been fairly untreated. I think the issue is about him remaining the Secretary General of the ANC and what the position entails. 
His claims then also, uh, one of the interesting admissions he's making is that the NASREC conference of 2017 saw the ANC being split right down the middle. Is that surprising? Because we can all clearly see that there's definitely a split within the ruling party. Yeah, I think he would say such things because there's not really a watertight case on his behalf because there is a matter standing before court uh, about the corruption that happened under his leadership. And he kind of didn't handle this very well in terms of how when journalists were asking him questions, in terms of directly saying to them that, uh, look, I was a premier during this term. This is what happened. He he resorted to saying that we have problem of white monopoly capital in South Africa, that he's been targeted instead of taking South African into confidence, explaining the processes why what happened? Was it an issue of oversight? Was it an issue of corruption? He never took that moment to explain to South Africans. And I think he's saying, uh, saying the ANC is divided. I think that is too simple. And I don't think it's the matter that can actually persuade the, the court to, to rule in his favor. Do you see an end to this? I mean, it's almost like our poll question today. Do we think that we'll ever resolve load shedding? Do we think that we'll ever resolve Ace Mahashule's issue? Mm, I, I think... It, the court will have a last say. I think once they say that uh, he should step aside, and I think that's where the, the constitutionality of, of the step aside rule is going to be tested because other people are saying that it's, it's unconstitutional because it's presumed somebody guilty before the law. It's like you're, prevent, you're, you're presumed guilty, and they feel like that being biased, that's being biased towards somebody. But uh, it's also great because... If they say you are stepping aside, they are not necessarily saying that you are you are leaving the party per se. They are saying deal with your court cases, and then once you have dealt with that, you can come back to occupy your office. But politically, we know that's necessarily possible. Once Ace Mahashle steps aside, he is not going to find the office that he had left. His political opponents are going to use his absence to regroup and to consolidate their power. And unfortunately, in on his side. It's only the court that is going to decide. And unfortunately, this is a political issue and it's going to be very difficult for him because his faction has been associated with corruption in South Africa. Mm. Your your thoughts in terms of the chances of uh, Ramaphosa being the leader of the ANC again? I think so far he has managed to handle the faction that is against him very well because now... uh, they are just allowing state agent, I mean, state agencies and state organs to deal with their opponents. Their majority of his political opponents have cases to answer to to the courts. So, and I think that that would work well on his behalf. And I think he's going to use opportunities as this to ensure that whoever is against him and is accused of corruption, that issue is going to be attended to. And I think. He, he would want to, if he wants to remain into office for, a, for to finish his term, I, I think paging his political opponent was going to be key because if he's going to play with power, they might end up using against him like they've done with other leaders in the past, like Tavombek and Jacob Zuma in the in the, la, the last month of his second term, and he would want to be strong and. I mean, respond to his political critiques in a much stronger way if he was to remain in power. Mm. 
Okay, let's go overseas now. Uh, talking hashtag Al Jazeera, a building that housed international media offices, including Al Jazeera in the Gaza Strip, has been hit by an Israeli air raid uh, and it, it demolished the structure. This was on Saturday. So the Associated Press News Agency Bureau was also housed in this uh, building. Uh, what do we read on this in terms of the attack when we know there's war? You know, there's always an attack on journalistic reporting. I think the issue here it's that uh, the Israeli Defense Force is trying to cover up what's happening in Gaza because they know that if they start targeting journalists, they are not going to report what's happening there fairly. They are going to do it with fear because they, they, the journalists have been targeted. And I think this is one of the long-standing techniques that has been used by uh, autocratic countries in order to cover up what's happening with their governances. And I think... It's, it's a sad day for journalism because it means that now journalists in those spaces are not going to be free in terms of reporting news because they know that they might be personally targeted where if they can openly bomb a building without any explanation of what is happening. Well, they're saying that they were suspecting that there were military assets that were being hosted in the building belonging to the military intelligence of Hamas, uh, the terror organization. But how would they even make this make sense to anyone? Because those who've been working in the building, they, I mean, they interviewed people who'd been there 10 years, 15 years, and they were saying that we've never seen anything suspicious. Why would all of a sudden uh, they now, 10 years, 15 years later, feel like there are military assets being hosted in this building? I think that's a, that's a lame excuse because uh, the issue here is that Al Jazeera doesn't have a good reputation in, in those spaces. They know Al Jazeera as a critical news outlet, and and I think that's where the problem is. The problem is not issues of whether they are military equipment. The, the issue is that Al Jazeera is a critical news outlet when it's coming to Israel, and I think that's where the problem is, that they don't want, they don't want the news media to continue with their critical reporting, and I think that's where the real problem is. And... Unfortunately, they have to find some way of justifying because if they are seen as targeting journalists, they're they are going to invite more critique. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that's what they are looking for. They might, they want to come up with some justification which sounds legitimate, but at this moment it's not because we know that Al Jazeera has been very critical news outlet. And this has been going on, I mean, since 1948. I, I don't know if it will ever see the end. Who should be holding the government of Israel accountable? Is this a human rights issue to you? It is definitely a human rights issue. But the issue is that Palestinians do not have strong support internationally. And I think Israel has countries such as the U.S., U.K., Australia, and other countries in Europe on their side. And if it could have been different if in cases of countries such as Iraq, whereas they were just trump up issues of human rights violation and because this country supported that, uh, Iraq was kind of vilified and sidelined. But with the case here, the Palestinian people do not have that sort of international support. And that's why 
this superpowers are just going to turn a blind eye because the issues of human rights is actually who brings the agenda on the international table. If superpowers are claiming that there, there are human rights violations in a particular country, that's where the media is actually going to pick up and try to report critical. But at this moment, the, the victims uh, do not have that support. That's why this thing is ongoing. And we just see horrific pictures on the media, but I don't think nothing concrete is going to be done to protect the Palestinians. Yeah, horrific, because, I mean, 140 people being killed in Gaza, including 39 children and 22 women. Uh, and then on the Israel side, nine people being killed. Uh, a message uh, coming from one of our listeners, Emmett K1, says, uh, Yo, Asanda, then the annihilation of the Palestinians is far from over. They are going to be completely demolished until the end of time. This is just a sad story. Yeah, I think that's where it's going because if they are just killing people like that and there's no one who is defending Palestinians, uh, it's realize, it's, I'm realizing that is actually they might end up killing the whole country because they don't mm. even recognize them as a country. And I think that's where the situation is going to. And it's not different from during the hard days of colonialism where victims are just under military control and they don't have no right, no voice. And I think this is the situation. And the third part is that in this particular moment, the countries that are supporting human rights, inverted commas, are now quiet and the victims of Palestine are on their own, nobody to support them. Okay, let's come back home then talking hashtag Jacob Zuma, uh, our former president there who's uh, returning to the Peter Marisberg High Court today for what is said to be the start of his corruption uh, trial. And this in connection with South Africa's multi-billion rand arms deal of the 1990s. Another ongoing thing today, we're talking about things that just don't want to end. I think Miss Universe is the only one that seemed to have finality. Uh, but here's another story that just does not seem to end. Yeah, it's actually interesting because uh, I think we're going to see more delays because the issue here is now that Zuma doesn't have formal legal representation and I don't think the court today is likely to continue on that basis because they might want to claim that he he needs time to to fulfill his legal representation. And I think uh, it's really a very complicated case because one would have assumed that when Shavil Sheikh was charged with corruption, in, in, was it in 2005? Zuma would have actually should have actually convicted of the same yeah. of the same charge, and that didn't happen. And now this thing has been brought to the table, and the, the case has a lot of t- t- uh, tense and twisting turns. And I think, but at this moment, there has actually been loophole been identified, and I think one day Zuma is going to face his music. Because if you check with the Serenity Commission, it was declared unconstitutional and irrational. And with the the prosecutor who threw, who dropped his charges, and that was also deemed invalid, it shows that even though this thing is taking so much longer, the law is still very strong, and Zuma still has to go and face his music. Mm, yeah, and he needs to face the music with the co-accused French arms manufacturer, Tails. And they've been quiet, though. Have we not been following them as much as Zuma? I think for them, the, Zuma has been really, his, his reputation has been centered around this 
criminal case, and she, she he's the figure who was deemed central. And I think the company, it's even though it's also accused of serious, serious charges, I think for for South Africans or people in Africa, they are looking at Juma that maybe in the person in his capacity, he could have done things differently. That's why this company, it's not really in the center stage. And considering that they are not necessarily a South African company, we're not necessarily going to follow much on what they are doing and how do they get into the situation. Yeah, okay. Also in the country, just finally, hashtag polyandry. Just the other day, we were talking polyamory. Uh, today, we're talking polyandry. Uh, and polygamy was the other one. We are polying, we are adding on top of on top. Basically, so this is now South Africa passing a law that allows women to have more than one husband. So it, that, this works the same as polygamy, uh, but it's a woman now who's 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 got multiple partners or, or multiple husbands instead of a man having multiple wives. I think it's a it's a it's a good decision and. Uh, it's a good feminist moment for South Africa and uh, that uh, whatever rights are accorded to men uh, must be also accorded to women. But uh, South Africa being an aggressively patriarchal society, I don't think it's really practical to practice, uh, to have such a uh, practice being legalized. Uh, it's a very good thing, but the, at a social and cultural level, it's going to be a really serious issue. Uh, because South Africa is also affected by issues of patriarchal and toxic masculinity, and it's going to—it's really interesting how you know, to see how this is going to affect uh, cultural changes in terms of gender relations and masculinity in South Africa. So, is it actually still in proposal stage, or hasn't been passed? Because that's where I'm, I'm a bit confused. I think it has been passed. Okay. Uh, yes, and women can now have. Uh, more than one husband and it's it's actually now the, the the law is actually now reframed the whole patriarchal institutions of marriage and mm. yes so if it's going to be like it's actually revolutionary in a sense that uh, if how is going to the arrangement going to be put in place? The women is going to be staying with these this two husbands, or the other husband is going to have their own place. And I think it, it's going to be interesting to see how that this is. Yeah, personal. it's quite interesting because what does that mean for the family structure? Because I mean, I mean, not to sound uh, too backward, but the mom usually is the one that stays with the children in the home, right? So, if the wife has got more than one husband, who's yeah, it's confusing. Who's going to be at home in the in the same household with the kids? And the kids going to be having different dads? You know, this one yeah, comes so, in and then that, uh, it leaves and then another one comes in. Like, I wonder how, how it would work. Yeah, well, the, the, the counter-argument to that would be that uh, marriage in the South African context is a patriarchal institution. It's actually expropriating labor from the woman in support of the male figure. And I think they are going to mount that argument that is the situation that women also have the right to control their bodies, have the right to to do what men can do because we're all human and we must be treated as such before the law. And I mean, we just have to wait for the cultural changes that comes with the law and see how people are going to be operationalizing this. But the biggest issue here is 
this is going to be existing in a country that is is affected by structural violence against women. And I think we cannot say away from that that uh, uh, the, the the law is going to also spark such issues where you find that two men are fighting over a wife because that is one of the biggest challenges in South Africa where uh, there, there are a lot of domestic violence. Just ab- women's abuse in South Africa is very seriously rife. And I think that should also be taken into consideration as how this is going to be operationalized eventually. Yeah. Well, for me, I need more information on this. It's, I'm still quite confused. I, I need to still wrap my head around all the uh, different arguments to it. But thank you so much, uh, Doctor. We appreciate your time. And uh, happy Monday to you. We appreciate you uh, coming through. Thanks for having me. Dr. Meji Makoba, social commentator, talking uh, trending topics here on uh, Sound Awake.